Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Dave Kovar, and today's title is 16 Tools for Better Teaching, Part 2. And so this is a, uh, we're going to follow up on, on what we talked about last uh, on the last podcast. And I want to just do a quick review. We started out by talking what's called the Instructor's Creed, and it goes like this. I'll teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I'm patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example. And the importance of to kind of get your head right before you ever teach, because when you're at your best, man, you're just a better teacher. You're a better instructor. You're a better, better leader. And then the, the, the eight that we went through last time were friendly on purpose, transformational communication skills, focus. Focus anchors, pre-framing, the three-by-three rule, public praise, private reprimand, the three Ds, demonstrate detailed drill, and practice praise, correct praise. Now, uh, these next eight uh, are very effective, and and they're a good follow-up for the first eight. And the first eight are easy to actually practice doing. Uh, These these next eight are kind of more of philosophy behind teaching in general, all right? So teaching tip number nine is strive to use influence instead of authority. And so the rules of three, kind of three concepts that kind of go along with this is authority motivates externally, influence motivates internally, always use influence first. And what that basically means is, is that what are we talking about authority versus influence instead of authority? What's the difference? So authority is getting someone to do something because they have to do it. Influence is getting some Thing, somebody do something because they want to do it. So if I had some uh, you know, you know, person and, and I wanted to get them the most push-ups they possibly could, I could get them in a push-up position and I could stand over them and I could say, listen, man, I don't know how many push-ups you can do, but you're going to do the most you've ever done. And if not, I'm going to kick you in the ribs as hard as I can. And guess what? You're probably going to do a lot of push-ups. That's pretty good motivation. But you're doing it out of fear of getting kicked. So instead, it would be, you know, all right, man, you know, let's. I would find a way to to, to influence them to, to want to do that. By the way, influencing students is way harder than uh, than uh, using your authority, but it's long-lasting. It's really the difference between disciplining someone and teaching somebody about the the benefits of self-discipline. Okay, and so once again, the idea is is not try to get people to do things because they want to, not because they have to. Right? Takes a little longer, uh, but man, it's so powerful. The next one is always follow the SSL rule. Now, this is particularly important when it comes to uh, one of these L's might uh, not work uh, if you are uh, maybe not doing something physical, but uh, it's basically smiling, sweating, and learning, right? So anytime you're doing some kind of a physical activity, so... so, uh, uh, the first thing we want to do is we want them smiling doesn't literally mean students have to be smiling during a class. It refers to the present focus and enjoyment. Like, for example, let's just say that this morning, a few hours ago, I was I was grappling and uh, I was working with somebody else and they're trying to, uh, you know, they're trying to, to take my back and I'm trying to keep them from taking it back. And if you took a snapshot of my facial expression, I don't have a big smile on my face. I probably look pretty intense. Right. But let me tell you, I'm having a great time. So literally what we're referring to, once again, is present focus and enjoying the process. OK, that's really important because people also learn best when they're having fun. People of all ages, not just kids. We all do. Okay. The second one is sweating, right? And that means giving them a workout, right? Uh, uh, 
And, and that's something I know when we're teaching martial arts, especially everybody of all ages, we, most people don't get enough exercise and anything we can do to get them making sure that they're getting that heart rate up and, and they're, they're be, you know, generating some muscle tone, man, that's a good thing. And the third one is learning that you want your students to leave at the end of the class with a, with a new aha or a takeaway. All right. So the SSL rule. Now, what I try to do when I'm teaching is I try to blur the line as much as possible between those three. In a perfect world, a student is having a good time, getting a workout, learning something new. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes, you know, you're doing this is the learning part, this is the sweating part, this is the smiling part. But the more you can have the three of those kind of blur that line, man, the better off you are. Okay. Next one, number 11, is to practice the art of disguising repetition. Disguising repetition. What's that about? That's about understanding that the only way for anybody to become good at something is mindful repetition over time. It's as simple as that. You want to be good at something, you got to practice it a lot. However, if you don't change up how you practice, a lot of people have time. A lot of people will get bored. So disguising repetition is about doing little things to make a little difference. So I'm going to give you what we call the rules of three for disguising repetition. Rule number one is change attribute emphasis. What is an attribute? So for an attribute for martial arts might be something, not just martial arts, but any physical activity. It might be something like speed, strength, timing, power, balance, accuracy, right? So all of a sudden, let's just say that I'm teaching someone a basic skill. Let's see, I'm teaching somebody a front kick. And I'm, okay, they got a front kick and I want to drill on it a whole bunch. Well, all I have to do is think, all right, all I have to do is say, all right, this time instead of emphasizing speed, we're emphasizing balance and power. And guess what? A new drill will be created just by putting, changing your attribute. The second one is change atmosphere. That means, you know, a different partner or getting them going in a different direction or with a different instructor. You know, people remember starts and stops more than they remember middles. So the more starts and stops, the more change-ups I can have uh, in, in the class, uh, you know, the better off. I know for us in our martial arts class, we usually have kind of four session sections of a of a, like a 45-minute kids class. We'll have the warm-up. That's usually 10 minutes. And we'll have some two 15-minute chunks of, of a class followed by one five-minute chunk where they're all together. And that, man, that just works really good just to, to kind of break up the class. And also as an instructor, when, you're, when you are able to kind of shift gears, it makes it easier on you as well. Okay, so uh, and then the third one is change area of focus through nonstop instructor feedback. We call it the conductor uh, concept. And what that means is let's just imagine that you're a boxing coach and you're working your, your guys on a jab or right? you got all your students lined up or you got someone lined up. And, and after each jab, you're giving them something to focus on. You're not doing anything different. You're not changing up the drill, but you're saying, all right, bend your knees. Now turn your hips. Now eyes focused. Keep your other hand up. Recall the hand back. You're giving them something to think about, right? After each one. One, and that's a nice way of disguising repetition as well. So change attribute emphasis, change atmosphere, change area of focus. Number 12, practice zero downtime. What the heck does that mean? Let me think about this for a minute. I wasn't really prepared to talk about this one, so just give me a second. What I did right there was downtime. That's what not to do when you're teaching. Okay, so here's the deal. So rules of three for, for uh, practice zero downtime is number one, plan your class. Number two is be one step ahead of your class. Number three is have clear communication between team members. So here's the deal. Um, 
First and foremost, plan your class means you go into class with a game plan. Now, I've been teaching martial arts for like over 45 years. I, I, and, and during that time, I've taught a lot of classes and I can wing it and I'd like to think I can do a pretty good job. Like like all of a sudden, someone very spur of the moment says, hey, can you teach a class? I'd like to think I usually do pretty good. However, when I'm prepared for a class, when I've got a little while to really get my game plan, everything about my class is better. Even the way I bow the class in because I'm excited because I got this great class plan. So it's so valuable to have. Now, here's the, the reality is no two classes are going to be the same. It's kind of like, you know, the coach of the football team, they go into the, the game with a game plan. But guess what? They're going to, you know, they're going to modify as the game goes on. Well, it's the same thing with a class. A class is a living, breathing, live thing. And there has to be a certain amount of spontaneity that goes on. It can't just be, you know, uh, the same, same way because that means there's really no emotion from the instructor, in my opinion anyway. So... But uh, you, you need to have a plan to deviate from, right? And so one step ahead of your class means that, that you never uh, – you always kind of know what you're going to do coming up next, right, in the next few minutes. Now, you might not know what you're going to do in a half an hour, but you should have your next block figured out. And that means like if I'm doing a warm-up in a class, I already know who I'm going to pair off with. Right, I don't wait and go. Let me think. Uh, should we pair off Bob with Frank? Uh, no, man. I've already got that figured out ahead of time. All right, that that's the kind of the concept with that. All right, and if I can do that, man, uh, uh, what that's going to do is that's going to make it so I have it's just seamless from one transition to the other. And then I got to make sure that if I got people helping me, that they are their head is in the game as well, and they have real clear communication between team members, meaning that they they kind of know what's going on, right? And I'll tell you what, you know, if you've ever like uh, if you're a teacher and you've ever taught a class with somebody else that didn't know what you were doing and you had to stop to explain it, man, it's rough. But when you're working with your partner that's got your back, that knows what's going on, that's paying attention, that just can make all the difference in the world, right? So habit tip number number 12 is practice zero downtime. Number 13 is when working with challenging students, rise to it. Let me say that again. When working with challenging students, rise to it. And I want to share a little bit about this. This is a really important teaching tip, and I want to share a story with you about kind of how we kind of came to this conclusion. And I I may have actually shared this in past podcasts, but it's worth talking about again, at least in my opinion. So let's talk about the rules of three for working with challenging students. Um, Build rapport, give them clear expectations and feedback, and catch them doing something right. Now, what are we talking about with build rapport? To me, that means you know, doing your best to try to like them, right? Having an, a sense of appreciation towards that student. That's the first thing. Because remember, people like people who like us. We like people who like us. And and as an instructor, I think our students, they should respect us, certainly. But I also think they need to like us. And that can really make a big difference. So building rapport is about you know, getting to know them as a person, their interests, all that kind of good stuff. All right? And give them clear expectations and feedback. That's step number two. That means tell them ahead of time what you want them to accomplish, right? I, I'm amazed by how powerful it is ahead of time if you have a challenging students to walk up and explain what you want, you hope that happen, that you want them to do, right? And then that's the expectation. Then the feedback, either they do it or they don't do it. Let's say, for example, I have a kid that doesn't pay very good attention. And before class, I give him a clear expectation. All right, I want you to stand straight for 15 seconds. Okay, Bobby? All right. That's his expectation. Now, either he does it or he doesn't do it. Either way, I got to be there. The worst thing that I can do is give him this expectation to stand straight at least for 10 seconds or 15 seconds. And not only does that, he stands straight for a minute. But I'm not there to catch him doing that, and, and, and I'm not there to notice. And the next thing you know, he's messing up, and I'm bug, I'm on him again. So 
I either walk over and say, way to go, man, that was awesome, or hey, buddy, you know, remember what we talked about. So that's step number two. And step number three is catch, catch them doing something right. Okay, and that means, man, train your eye, uh, especially with those challenging students. When you see them do something right, be there to, to comment, and you're going to see more of it. So years ago, uh, these these rules came really uh, after an experience I had with one particular challenging student. His name was Ryan, and Ryan started training with me when he was about eight years old. And uh, he was being raised by his grandmother, and his grandmother wanted him to have a positive male role model. That's really why she had brought him. And the reason why he was being raised by his grandmother, because dad was in prison and mom was living in the street somewhere. She was off the grid. She would come around occasionally, but she had some issues she was dealing with. And here's this grandma doing her best. To, to raise Ryan to the best of her abilities. And I got to be honest with you, Ryan was kind of a punk. He was a hard kid to like. You know, he just had this, he didn't necessarily misbehave a lot, although he did, because uh, I was always there to catch him. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Uh, but it was just like, he, man, he just kind of didn't you know, show a lot of respect. He kind of had, had a little, little smirk on his face, didn't try real hard. When he, so when he would come to class, I'm not proud of this, but I really did do this. When he would come to class, uh, I would I would see him coming. And I'd kind of puff my chest out and kind of take a breath, and I'd walk over and I'd say something like, "Listen, Ryan, man, you better not mess up today. If you do, I'm gonna be all over you." Yada yada yada. yada. You know, you get the idea. I would I'd be pointing the finger kind of at his chest, so to speak. Now, here's my question: Do you think that works? I would say no. I would say he was probably already getting that from the principal and his uncle Bob. That was something that you know that just probably didn't phase him very much. By the way, do you think he liked me? I don't think so. Right, a good indicator is usually if you don't like somebody, they usually don't like you. That's been my experience, right? And uh, and so once again, it's going to be hard for him. None of us try hard for a teacher we don't like, right? And and so. Uh, so what would happen is he would never disappoint me. I always was able to find something wrong with Ryan. And so he'd continue to train with us for two or three years. And I remember one particular time his grandma called and said, hey, man, would you talk to Ryan? He's getting in a lot of trouble at school, and I'm worried about him, and I'm hoping you can help. And I think to myself, you bet I will. I'll talk to that guy, right? And you you, you imagine how that went. I'm over there pointing the finger at him and raising my voice, etc. Like that's really going to help. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I did. So anyway – Ryan continues to train, starts to become more and more flaky, and pretty much he drifts off. I remember one time seeing his name on a list of inactive students that we were supposed to reach out to, and I remember thinking to myself, nah, I'm not going to bother. You know, I'm done with Ryan. And I don't think anything of him, nothing, until about three or four years later. I'm driving home. It's on a Wednesday, middle of the day, a school day, by the way, during the school year. About one o'clock, I'm going home for a late lunch, and what do you, what do you know? What do you see? What do I see up ahead of me? I see four teenagers with their backs turned to me, walking the same direction I'm driving. All four of them, at least three of them, in my memory, I swear it was all four were smoking, and they were passing a bottle uh, in in a brown paper bag. It was a small bottle, like you know, a bottle of alcohol, right back and forth. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm driving through the, the stop signs, I remember thinking, man, look at those guys. Uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. If they were my students, they wouldn't be walking down the street smoking and drinking in the middle of a school year. And you already probably know where I'm going this story. I go through and I look in my rearview mirror and guess who I see? Ryan. And man, I, I got to tell you, I just like, I feel like I got punched in the gut. I just, it hit me that I had completely let this kid down. Now, by the way, I could have done everything right. And he still could have ended up walking down the street in the middle of the day, smoking and drinking. Of course, 
I could have, but I didn't, and I know I didn't. I did not really give this kid the benefit of the doubt. I didn't go out of my way to befriend him. And that's where these rules came because I, I swear, had I built rapport with him, tried to find a, a way to like him, get, tell him what I wanted ahead of class, and then, and then catch him doing things right, who knows? I, I, if he was still a student, I don't think he would have been walking down the street at that time of day, right? And I never forgot that. And that's something that I try to really apply when I'm, when I'm working, interacting with other people that maybe are, are, are you know, what not as easy to like. Okay, so build rapport, uh, give them clear expectations and feedback and catch them doing things right. Now, uh, hopefully, uh, there's a way you could apply this and, you know, whether it be a family member, friend, whatever, if there's someone that, that maybe you don't get along with really like or you have a hard time liking, first step is, is understand you're not going to fix it overnight. But I also want you to know that you can't fix anyone else. The only thing you can do is, is change the way you can't change anyone else, I should say, but you can change the way you view and interact with them. And a lot of times that can have a profound effect. So if I could go back in time, and let's say Ryan was still training. Maybe uh, we already—I already kind of lost rapport with him, and and you know, uh, and I'm not really doing a good job of being a good role model for him. And uh, but I would take a sec—I would stop, and I would—I'd I, walk up to him and say, "Hey, Brian, do you have a minute?" Ryan, excuse me, and 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 I'd say, "I just want to apologize. I haven't been the best instructor. I've been really hard on you, and I—I want to let you know that I'm going to start over again." Let's let's reboot. Let's start over. And I'm going to do my best to be the best teacher I can be. Uh, if you would also do me a favor and do the best you can to be the best student, and and that's where I'd start from. And then I would tell them exactly what I expected. And hopefully, all I'm looking for is a direction. Remember, if you have a challenged student, you're, you're not going to cure them overnight. There's a great quote that goes like this: "Do not fear moving forward slowly. Only fear standing still. As long as you're making progress, that's all you really can ask. Right? All right." Number 14, make every huddle discussion a masterpiece. What the heck does that mean? What I'm talking about, when you're going to impart some words of wisdom on your students, regardless of the age, put your spirit in it. If you're going to tell a story, put your spirit into it, right? If you're going to give an example, put your spirit. If you're going to ask for them to give examples, put your spirit in it. So here's rules of three. Be animated so you'll hold students' interest. Rule number two is encourage participation. Rule number three is be brief and thorough. Longer isn't better, right? Sometimes we think the longer the story, the better, or, you know, the longer the movie, the better. And that's not the case, right? And so uh, I find that that uh, being animated, of course, tonality, you know, physiology, physiognomy, like we talked about on the last podcast, encourage participation means you, you make get people to raise their hands, right? You give them your role play with it. Uh, and by the way, one of the things that if you ever notice and, and, and if, if you're somebody that's ever done any, been involved in grade schools or done any assemblies, what's really remarkable is if you go and you talk to a group of uh, kindergartners and you ask a question, guess what happens? Everybody raises their hands. Everybody participates in that, right? And then by the time you get to seventh grade, nobody raises their hands anymore, right? And and part of the reason I think is that first off, no one wants to look self, no one looks to look stupid in front of their people, their their peers. But a lot of times, what's happened is that's been kind of. Uh, they've been maybe when they were wrong, maybe they f- didn't feel good about it, or maybe they were told to not feel good about it. Like I remember watching an instructor teach one time, and he wanted the kids, "All right, guys, all right, help me out here and ask a question." And someone raised their hand, like build the courage to raise their hand, and say, "Wrong." Somebody else, 
No way, that's stupid. Somebody else. Well, guess what? Pretty soon, no one's hands are going to raise, right? So when you when you want to get participation, you got to make people, if they raise their hand, whether they're right or wrong, you got to make them feel good. You know, some kind of a habit I got into, if if like I'm asking, a, let's say, a group of kids, and I ask a question, and someone raises their hand, and they forget the answer, you know, like, like uh, let's say, okay, what letter is between A and C, right? Somebody raised their hand, and they, they get nervous, and they're going, and, and it, what I'll do is I'll say, I bet you were going to say B and they'll nod. I go, you're right. Good job. Right. That was my way to kind of make them not feel bad. You know, it, now, now with that, they're more likely to uh, volunteer in the future. Right. All right. Number 15, always stress safety first. If you're doing some kind of uh, whatever it is, me and man, you know, some kind of, especially some kind of physical you know, activity, man, you know, so for us, uh, uh, the th- rules of three are mindfully pair off partners. Rule number two is maintain the mat and appropriate training equipment that may or may not be appropriate for you and teach age and skill appropriate material. But basically, I can't tell you how many times that I've had a student become injured and sometimes some serious injuries because of something I did that was stupid, right? Now, I'd like to think I do it a lot less now because what happens over time, you just learn how to run safer classes. You learn what drills not to do and not to do. I'm not proud of it, but I actually had three people break their collarbone when I was teaching them how to do a shoulder roll so they wouldn't hurt themselves. Think about that. All right, students, let me, I'm going to show you how to not hurt yourself, but when you, if you ever have to fall, this is what you're going to do. So that way you'll never get hurt if you have to fall. Oh, sorry about that. Broken collarbone. Well, all right. Well, you guys get the idea. Now, it hasn't happened for 25 years, right? Because I've learned how to teach that skill differently and better. Okay? So make sure that, you know, when you stress safety first, man, you know, so if you're doing some kind of drill with other people, make sure that they're paired off well, right? That their energy is right. The, the environment that you're in, it's not, there's no safety hazards, right? And then age and skill appropriate material is so important. I remember going to a school one time and one of our young instructors, somebody had called in sick and one of our young instructors very enthusiastically teaching an adult class and a great kid. He just didn't know better. He's got a bunch of beginner adults that some of them were weren't very good shape and he's got him doing jump kicks. That is a recipe for a knee injury, right? But he didn't know, right? So we've since then made it very clear is what you can teach and not teach. But the idea is that over time, most people will learn not to do that. All right. Number 16, the final one is don't compromise the instructor-student relationship. Don't compromise the instructor-student relationship. So we have three rules for this, of course, and they are be friendly, but not a friend. Be personable, but not personal. Never use your influence on students for selfish gains. Let me talk about what I'm talking about here to never compromise the instructor's student relationship. So first and foremost, be friendly, but not a friend. What does that mean? Well, I'm not telling you, if you have a friend that's a student now, I'm not telling you don't ever talk to that person. You can't be their friend. Of course, I'm not saying that, okay? But I'm kind of saying going forward, it's always better to keep a professional relationship because that private relationship, if you have too many, that can work against you, right? Um, I remember one time I had a student back in the day when I was way younger and, and that student uh, 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 was, uh, uh, um, you know, told, came up to me and said, Dave, he, by the way, he was one of my best friends. He goes, Dave, I can't afford tuition anymore. Uh, and he, you know, can you just make, let, let me train for free? And I thought, oh man, he's my buddy. I really need the money. And this was, I mean, that's never a good idea, but at this time we were just beginning and struggling and barely making ends meet and man, but he was my friend. And so uh, he didn't start out that way. He started out as my student. So I said, sure. What do you know? He drives in a new motorcycle two days later. 
It's like, ah, right? And, and so, uh, be, friendly but not a friend, people would, you know, it, they, it, it, it can, it can, people can take advantage both ways, by the way. The next one is personable but not personal. What the heck does that mean? That means, hey, man, you can small talk. Uh, with your you, with your students, but they shouldn't. They don't need to hear about your problems. They got their own stuff to deal with. They don't need. They, they they have a lot of times they're looking up to you. They've got a high standard. The last thing they need to do is you have to vent to them about the stuff that's not right in your life. It's it's fine to have someone to do that with, but man, it should not be uh, you know one of your students. Okay. And the third part: never use your influence on students for selfish gains. What that means is, man, keep it professional. I know in the martial arts industry, I can't tell you how many times uh, uh, there is somebody that's misused their relationship uh, and uh, maybe dating inappropriate and stuff, then it's killed their business. And it's not just in martial arts, it's in other areas as well. So keep it professional. So don't compromise the instructor-student relationship. Be friendly but not a friend, personal but not personal, and never use your influence on students for selfish gains. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to wind down this. I hope you found this valuable. Uh, you, you know, uh, hopefully something that you can put to work in your life. And these are guidelines. You know, sometimes there's always going to be exceptions, but I have found these uh, to be very valuable in for my own teaching and also in the training of my team and and and, uh, uh, and with others as well. So appreciate you being a part of the the, the the Satori lifestyle, and I hope you come back another time. And please, if you like this, feel free to tell your friends. Take care, man. Bye-bye.